mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And we're here to tell their stories. Here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started, as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasoans. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Have you experienced pain in your lower extremities, even your hips or lower back after standing or walking? Your feet may not fit in your shoes or on the ground properly. Soul Man Foot Insoles, with 30 years' experience making people's feet feel more comfortable, can help. Henry Soulman Veloz is the official insole provider for UTEP Athletics and has made custom insoles for my athletic, casual, dress shoes, and work boots for 15 years now. You can find him on Facebook at Soulman Custom Foot Insoles or you can call him at 915-241-2153. That is S-O-L-E-M-A-N Custom Foot Insole on Facebook and call him 915-241-2153. My guest today is a father, a nurse, and a mixed martial artist and mixed martial arts referee who has turned a devastating personal loss and heartbreak into a crusade to help others dealing with similar heartbreak. He's the host of the Gold Corner YouTube page, and his name is Joel Ojeda. Joel, welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. Andrew, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, when you uh, reached out to me a couple of days ago and, and uh, asked me to be a part of this, I was just... Uh, flattered uh thank you so much for considering me and for the invite here well you know uh we're we're always looking to to talk to people with with stories that are interesting and um you know like i i said when i introduced the show we're a show about mold breakers trailblazers and takers of roads less traveled and i think that it's awfully easy for somebody who's dealt with the the loss of a child to kind of go into a cocoon and 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 exist uh, by themselves and 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 shut everybody out and you decided to do the other uh the the exact opposite and um that's why I wanted to have you on the show now unfortunately we're dealing with what we're dealing with here in the world and uh we're not able to do this interview in person um and something that I've been asking a lot of my guests recently is um just tell me a little bit about how your life has been changed uh personally professionally recreationally all those things uh, because of some of the limitations uh, due to the COVID pandemic, of course, Andrew. Yes, um, I, you know the the most uh, the, the thing that it's affected me the most, and uh, and you know this, you know I would travel, and I was pretty much almost every weekend, if not every other weekend, I was uh, you know living either in a car rental place or in a uh, airport, you know, to to be able to go somewhere and ref. Uh, I had actually started picking up a lot of uh, um, uh, fights uh, towards the end of 2019, kind of mid to late 2019. So, you know, going and uh, we'll go more in depth into my story, but that was the way I would kind of cope with the uh, with the depression that I was going through after having lost my two-year-old daughter. Um, and when all this happened and all the fights stopped, and even now there's only very little, uh, a limited amount of fights um, 
it really did affect me. You know, it, it affected me quite a bit because that was the way out. And, uh, you know, you and I have, have worked uh, several shows over the last couple of years. And, you know, just being in the cage, being the third man in the cage was kind of like my therapy for me. I love being in there. I love just the sport itself. So that was helping me out quite a bit. And unfortunately, when all of this happened, you know, it, it did, uh, you know, put a halt to all of that. So, uh, the depression kind of started hitting up a little bit more, and you know, for a long time the gyms are closed, and a lot of time, and a lot of gyms are still actually closed right now. So it's not like I I could go work out or I could go do you know martial arts. Yeah, you know, working out at home and doing you know things here and there do help a little bit, but I was mostly affected because of that because that was my therapy was to be able to travel on the weekends and do what I love. Right now, you um, are still you're still working uh, as a nurse uh, in an ophthalmologist's office. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I, I work for an ophthalmology office, probably the uh, the, the biggest ophthalmology uh, practice in, in Texas. So I actually live in Sunland Park, New Mexico. Uh, not a lot of people know where that is, so uh, people know more El Paso, Texas. And I literally live a 30-second drive to El Paso, Texas, so that's where uh, I tell people that I live is in El Paso. Uh, but yes, I do. I've been working with this ophthalmology group for about 10 years now, and uh, all in all, and, and it's been 18 years that. Uh, since I graduated uh, college and I've been working uh, and I, I've pretty much been doing just ophthalmology surgery since I finished. That's, that's what I love to do. And, and that is my, my other passion right there. How did you get into, um, just tell me, tell us a little bit about becoming a nurse. Well, you know what, I is actually, you know, I, I wanted to go into law enforcement, believe it or not. When I went to, uh, I, I actually graduated from Santa Teresa High School in 97. I went to college at NMSU there in Las Cruces. And, um, you know, when you're first taking your core curriculum classes, you're not too sure of what you want. Sometimes you are, uh, but I wanted to go into law enforcement. And, you know, my mom being a retired nurse, she kind of led me that way. Uh, back then in 98, I, now it's more common, but there was really not a lot of male nurses. So I kind of wanted to be that, the one that stood out. So I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go into this. I always had a passion for helping, um, people. I, I, you know, grew up being a youth leader. I grew up, uh, you know, being a youth pastor as well. So helping people that way was uh, helping me out. And I just wanted to be able to make a difference. So that is kind of how I was steered into that direction there. It's you know, and it's funny. I I it was on the tip of my tongue, and I didn't say it, but you brought it up. Being a male nurse, I actually have um, quite a few. At some at one point, you know, ten twelve years ago, my wife and I made uh, a, some pretty good friends with uh, a group of uh, maybe a half dozen or so neighbors who, by just by chance, were all nurses, and they all worked together. <laughs> and um, and and a lot, and some of them were males. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got an interview coming in here in a little while. My friend, uh, my friend Todd, who's a nurse. Um, but yeah, and I've I've actually uh, oh, I have a sister who's a nurse. I mean, a lot of nurses in my life, and um, definitely sounds like a rewarding career. I'm actually eligible to retire from the job that I'm at now, and I thought it, it, at some point that that nursing would be uh, very interesting, except for the fact that I'm too old to be standing on my feet for twelve hours at a time, and um, I'm done working shift work. So, <laughs> and that's a, and that's assuming I could pass. You know, my degree is in history, and there's a reason I majored in history because I'm not real good at doing biology and chemistry. So that's also assuming I could I could pass all the prerequisites, but um, I, go ahead. I was about to say that I said I was about to say that I, at this uh, at this uh, point, you know, I actually went back to school in 2014 and I got my master's in business um, from the University of Texas here at UTEP, and it was such 
I had a difficult time, honestly, because, you know, when you graduate, you know, initially from college, you know, you're fresh out of high school, maybe a year or two removed. So everything is kind of still fresh. Try to, trying to go back into college years after you have finished college the first time, that, that, that's kind of a little bit <laughs> difficult there. Right. But um, so I was, you know, we were talking a little bit before we got started. Um, I had to make a drive up to Santa Fe and back uh, Wednesday for work, and I used that time to to catch up on all my podcasts. And uh, in in preparation for interviewing you, I I listened to a couple of episodes of the um, the Gold Corner, which is your your YouTube channel, your YouTube show that you use to help cope uh, help other people who have experienced the same type of loss or or are going through um, dealing with a sick child uh, like you did. And you said something that, that um, I actually didn't know. You talked about when Mia was born uh, and you were working a show up in Cruces in July of 2015. Uh, it dawned on me that that's probably when we met because that was actually the first event I ever worked for the New Mexico Athletic Commission. Um, tell us about Mia um, and her story. Yes, <clears throat> and I believe that was the first uh, event that that we were able to that that we met. Yes, um, so yes, my daughter Mia uh, Mia Ojeda, she was born in July of uh, 2015, and you know, for what we thought, she was perfectly healthy. And uh, well, um, when she turned two, two months after her second birthday, that is when she started getting a little bit of belly pain, and you know it. it we didn't think much of it, um, but we did take her to her pediatrician. And, of course, the first thing her pediatrician told us was, you know, she's constipated. That's why her belly's hurting. That's why her belly's a little bit hard. And we kind of just went with that. Um, but then for about two weeks, she started getting more and more pain. That's when we knew that something was different um, because, you know, being our daughter, we know her. And her mom and I actually knew that something else was wrong because we, we didn't, uh, it just things were not right. You know, she had been sick before. This was completely different. <clears throat> we ended up taking her to a uh, uh, to a, an ER for one of the hospitals here. And that is when they scanned her. They did an x-ray, I'm sorry. And that's when they found a little mass in her uh, belly area. They sent us to the children's hospital because obviously they didn't have, you know, the equipment there for children. And that is when they did all the scans, the MIBGs. They did a lot of other things, the MRIs. And it was a couple of hours later. It was on September 8th of um, 2017 when they told us the news that, uh, still haunt me at night. Those, the news that, you know, still keep, you know, give me the PTSD and, and still hurt. And that is when they told us your daughter has cancer. Um, she was initially, uh, diagnosed with another type of cancer and missed stage. And we did three rounds here at our local hospital of chemo. And we were actually sent over to Fort Worth because they couldn't do anything more here in El Paso. And that is when we found out that that one tumor in her belly wasn't the only one. She had a second tumor, uh, going up her spine and wrapping around her heart. She was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma, high risk. And she, she fought it. She fought, um, as you know, I, I've been a martial artist since I was seven years old. Uh, her mom was also a martial artist. So this little girl had the fight in her and she fought, she fought, she fought. But, you know, unfortunately, 10 months after, uh, the diagnosis, uh, God called her home. You know, she went through, uh, uh, 17, 17 total surgeries. 
uh, Andrew, and two major surgeries to try and remove the tumor that uh, were 15 hours, so a big 15-hour surgery. Uh, she went through 11 rounds of chemo and 24 uh, sessions of radiation, um, all at two years old, <laughs> you know, and you 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 look at life differently now and it has been extremely difficult for me you know she she was and continues to be my only my only daughter uh my only child um so yes she was called home in july of uh, 2018 it's been about two and a half years now uh and it's it's um it's one of these things that it should never happen. You know, no parent should ever have to bury their child. A parent should be worried about, you know, maybe their child's clothing and their education. But I was actually shopping for a casket and shopping to see what clothes she would have to be buried in. That is probably, uh, well, now I wouldn't say it's probably, but that is the most difficult thing that I've had to go through. And Andrew, I still struggle a lot uh, with depression. And, and we, were, we were talking a little bit earlier about what would help me cope with that depression and that was traveling and, and doing these MMA fights and that's been a little bit difficult you know with this whole COVID thing uh, but yeah my, my baby girl fought the good fight and it, it was just time for for her to go home and as much as it hurts uh, I know she's in a better place and when I say as much as it hurts it, it really hurts and it sometimes it's even difficult to breathe <laughs> but you know, you know I, I try to keep her memory alive as much as I can well, you're definitely doing that, and and I want to take you back because you know you said you've been a nurse now for seventeen, you know, a little over seventeen years. Uh, at the time, you know, you'd been you'd been a nurse for for a decade and and, and a change. And um, do you feel like having been you know in the medical field that when you get that initial diagnosis, you at least have some concept of what you're dealing with, or was there a lot of? Uh, I mean, obviously. You work in ophthalmology. You not you don't work in oncology, but it's. I, I would imagine at some point you have an idea of how things are going to go, and and on the other hand, you uh, everything's kind of new to you, and you're having to kind of learn on the go. Um, kind of take take me through that, and and how you were able to to as somebody with with in the medical field who has knowledge of a lot of the things that you might have been going through. How did you? How were you able to process all that uh, as a professional? Right. Sorry, go ahead. No, just as a professional who works in that field, did it? Do you think it gave you a better understanding, or caused you to have more questions? You know what? That's a question that has been spiraling in my head ever since that. You know, um, being that I was in the medical field, I, there was that time that I know I knew more than I needed to, but yet I did not know enough. Like you said, you know, I worked in ophthalmology surgery. Never did I once, uh, you know, de- even do a rotation through uh, the oncology floor. So. Being there, obviously, I, I knew about the vital signs. I knew about all of this, but that was uh, totally new for me. You know, going into that world was totally new for me. And, you know, when the doctors would come in, they know I'm in the medical field, so they would start, you know, speaking in, in, in all these medical terms when I would have to tell them, you know what, can you explain to that uh, in layman's terms, not only because, you know, I, I need to know more about this, but, you know, the mom is also not in the medical field, so she needs to know about that. So it was one of those situations that I that I knew more than I needed to, but I didn't know enough. And here's the kicker: you see, when you work in this field, you um, 
they learn to respect, you know, most of the doctors, the majority of the doctors. And when they tell you something, you know that they, they know what they're talking about, right? So it's most like a yes, sir, you know, yes, doctor, no, doctor, things like that. So that is where I failed, um, I, I believe, is that I, I completely put my trust just in, in one little area. Never once did I uh, do my research or say, okay, if she's diagnosed with neuroblastoma, where's the best place that she can go to? You know, where are the best specialists? You know, I trusted uh, certain doctors to be like, you know what, Joel, we can go ahead and take care of this. We can do this, this, and that. And I, again, being in the medical field, you're like, okay, yes, doctor, thank you. And the way they speak to you, they convince you, um, not knowing that there was a misdiagnosage, that there was misstaging, that she was actually started with the wrong chemo. So by the time we got to Fort Worth, it was actually already a little bit too late, and the chemo that they had given her to try and attack that first uh, tumor had actually made the second tumor around the heart a lot more aggressive. It was actually feeding that second tumor. So, yes, it was uh, It was both situations that, you know, and at that point, I would tell them, you know what, I, I, when I'm here, I'm not a medical professional. I am a father, and that's who I am, and that's, you know, why I'm here is to take care of my daughter at not as not as a nurse, not as a professional, but as a father. So you're going to talk to me like you would speak to other fathers and talk to, you know, her mom as well uh, that way. So that is where still kind of it, it haunts me. It, it really still does. I, I That's that's where the what ifs and I should have come in. Right. right? I should have I should have done more research. I should have done this. I trusted. I put all my trust in one medical team when in reality um, it it. It didn't work out that way. Well, listening to your episode of The Gold Corner, um, and, you know, you and I have been, uh, we know each other fairly casually. We see each other probably a couple times a year working together and um, follow each other on, on social media. And, and, of course, you have always been always been very open and very public about what you were going through. Uh, it's totally different reading about it on Facebook and listening to you tell the story. And, um, you know, obviously there are, there were things that I didn't know, uh, things that you just talked about, about the misdiagnosis and the, the using the wrong type of chemotherapy yeah. that I didn't know from your social media posts. And, of course, you mentioned in your Gold, your gold Corner episode that there are certain things that you obviously can't talk about for legal reasons, maybe possible legal, uh, legal actions pending, and you've got a book coming out. Um, but those were things that I didn't know about. And, and obviously, hearing somebody talk about it is a lot different than seeing Facebook posts. And I'll be damned if you can't make a grown man cry on I-25 south of Socorro <laughs> driving at highway speeds. But um, as if dealing with this type of diagnosis of your baby isn't bad enough, you were also at that time going through a divorce. Correct. Yes. So we had uh, we were actually going through a divorce. We separated uh, when Mia was uh, three months old. We did try counseling. We did try, you know, to go and speak with other, um, you know, with pastors and other professionals. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. It wasn't a bad divorce. It wasn't anything. It was just, you know, the the whole um, stress of going through a divorce. And we had actually uh, filed for divorce. We were already going to go sign and finish everything off. And that is when we got the news that Mia had cancer. At that point, you know, uh, her mom and I said, we're going to completely stop everything that we're doing right now. We're going to focus on our daughter. And I, I just got to say, you know, then and, and now I still remain friends with her and, and I still pray for her. And I'm always going to love her because she gave me the most beautiful gift that anyone can have. Right. And uh, but yes, I was going through the divorce 
divorce and going through all that. But luckily, and I was blessed that we were both adults and saying, you know what, when we're here, we're her parents. We're not going to speak about her past. We're not going to speak about her problems. And we did from day one of diagnosis all the way until she passed away in both of our arms. We were happy and we would take Mia out as a family. Mia was happy because for for the first time since she remembered, again, we we were separated since uh, Mia was three months old, but Mia had both parents at the same time. We would take her to the zoo. Of course, you know, we did go through all the treatments and everything, but never once did either of us uh, leave her side. And um, after Mia passed, then we went ahead and finalized the divorce, and, and that is uh, what happened there. <laughs> How were you able uh, again if, as if as if having a daughter who's that sick isn't enough and and then also going through the 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 also the personal loss of of a uh, of a partner and splitting up and going through a divorce you had to spend time away from El Paso you had to spend time you know thankfully there is a such thing as a Ronald McDonald house and I know you guys spent some time there there's also the headache of you're not at work and our bills getting paid and I would imagine you're you know you've spoken about your employer being very understanding um do you mind talking about that at all? Of course not. No, I do work for uh, Southwest Eye Institute with Dr. Mark Elman and Dr. Javier de la Torre, and they were so helpful uh, with everything that I went through. Um, the good thing about working for them is that they own the practice. We don't work for a bigger hospital. So they actually, uh, for the 10 months that we were in Fort Worth, they continue to pay my salary. They continue to, to, to pay me as if I was working. They paid me a little bit less, but I was blessed and I'm still blessed and I owe them so, so much because they, uh, they continue to pay me throughout my daughter's battle. Well, we're going to talk uh, very soon here about the, the three things that I've been able to identify that I know you've used to help you cope with uh, your grief. And of course, that's uh, the Gold Corner Show. Uh, your faith uh, and your your martial arts. Uh, you mentioned, and these are things, of course, that I didn't know about you before listening to your episode. Was that you were actually involved in ministry? Uh, take take me through your your faith journey and and, and when you first uh, discovered that you had faith and and your beliefs and and how it's and I would I would imagine uh, as you're going through this process, not just now, but as you're going through the process of Mia's diagnosis and her treatment that this is something that kind of kept you going uh, and gave you kind of a reason for going. Yes, Andrew, thank you for uh, touching that uh, that subject. So I grew up with my uh, my parents actually uh, being ministers as well. My dad was a pastor at one point. So I grew up, you know, in church. I grew up since, you know, I was, uh, I was that I remember I was in church and I would be, a, I was a musician there. And when I got into my teens, I became a youth leader, um, and it turned out to be uh, that I became a youth pastor there as well. So my beliefs were always there. You know, I, I grew up in a very strong uh, faith-based uh, foundation family, so that helped me, uh, you know, through it all, through growing up. Of course, you know, you go through your teenage rebel years, and you go through that. So, But that um, actually played a big part when Mia was diagnosed and for those people that uh, you know hear the story on, on the gold corner season one episode one this is one of the things that when my daughter when I was when I had was going through the divorce and I saw that my daughter was growing up I said I want to be a good example for my daughter I want her to see that you know her dad you know takes her to church goes to church and that is when I spoke to one of my uh, pastor friends and I said you know what I'm ready to get back on it I'm ready to continue preaching I'm ready to continue to make a difference because Prior to this, I was I was still a motivational speaker and a preacher, and 
that is when she told me, you know, or Joel, God, um, I, I, God told me that you were going to uh, tell me this, but you know, he spoke to me and I prayed and I just have something to tell you. She goes, before God can use you in an amazing way, you're going to go through something in your life. You're going to go through something. She goes, I don't know what it is, but you are going to go through something, but you're going to see how God's going to use you at the end of this road. You're going to see how after everything is done, how God's going to use you in a tremendous way. Never once, Sandra, did I think, you know, that my daughter was going to get cancer. I said, I don't know, something's going to happen to me. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get in a car accident. I'm going to get arrested. I don't know. Just a, a lot of things happened, you know, ran through my head. And it was two weeks after that they gave us the news that Mia had cancer. And I remember when this pastor told me that, I said, okay, God, no matter what you toss my way, I'm still going to continue to preach. I'm still going to continue to stay firm in my faith, and I'm going to continue to speak about your goodness to other people. I want to make a difference. So when Mia was diagnosed, that thing kept repeating in in my head like a broken record. Remember, Joel, you said no matter what, you were going to keep your faith. So it's something that did really help me. I know a lot of parents, and rightfully so, Andrew, rightfully so. I mean, there was times where I wanted a question. There was times where why? Not only why my daughter, but when you're walking through an oncology floor with your daughter and you see all these other innocent children there that, you know, have their bald heads, sometimes even missing limbs, going through cancer, and the following day they tell you that the kid has passed. You know, you, you want to question why and you want to say, why, God, why these children, you know? And I, I didn't. I remained strong in my faith and I would always hold me and I would say, God, you know, um, I, I don't know why we're going through this and I don't know, but I, what I do know is that I love you, God, and that I trust you and thank you for choosing us. Um, I know there's a bigger purpose for all of this and I know you have something way better for both of us, Lord. So I just want to say thank you. I got to the point where a nurse walked into the room while I was praying and walked out. I saw her maybe about an hour later. She goes, Joel, I don't know how you can still, still thank God while your daughter is crying in pain. And that's what I said. That's when you have to know that you're connected. That's when your faith has to be there and say, God, I know you're going to get us out of this situation. I don't know how, but you are. And I thank you because you're allowing us to go through this. So we prayed for a miracle, Andrew. We did. We prayed for healing. Um, and the healing did come. The miracles did come. Again, when I share my story, I say that Mia would go and lay hands on other sick children. And those children would be healed. She would go and pray for children, and they would be healed. So the miracles were there. The miracles happened. And when I wanted, when we were praying for healing, she has the ultimate healing right now. She told me the night before she passed, Andrew, three times when she was almost unresponsive and connected to continuous morphine. She sat up in her bed, and she told me three times. She said, Daddy, I am healed. Daddy, I am healed. Daddy, I am healed. At that point, I knew that she was about to leave, and then where she was going to leave, she was going to be healed and in the perfect place. The following day, she told us, don't cry, be strong. And she said, the angels are here, I'm okay. So she let us know. So we prayed for miracles, and we prayed for healing, and they did happen. Maybe not the way we were wanting it to or expecting it to, but that did happen. And... That is where my faith comes in, and my faith is what's still keeping me going right now. Because I know one day I will see my daughter again. And I've dreamt of my daughter, and I know she's healed, and she has her, her head full of hair again. So, 
yes, to answer your question, the, the, the faith has helped me throughout the entire process. And now I've had the honor and the blessing to have uh, spoken at Cook Children's uh, in Fort Worth, uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville. I've gone to um, Sloan Kettering in New York, and I've spoken to other parents. And I still continue to preach, but now I have a testimony. Now I know when that pastor told me that God's going to use you and take you to places you never imagined. Never once did I ever th- thought I was going to be standing in an auditorium at a hospital speaking to cancer uh, parents. And that is where I am, and that is where my mission is, and that is who I'm targeting now, because we need to be a voice uh, for these children. And a lot of people don't know this. We only get 4% funding for childhood cancer research. That's only four pennies on every dollar goes to childhood cancer research. Everything else goes to adults. So I somehow want to make a difference with that, Andrew. Well, you're definitely using your time wisely, and um, before, right, we're going to get to the gold corner here in just a minute. Um, you talked about your faith. Uh, you've talked about being a martial artist, and I know personally I have, uh, uh, due to injury and surgery and complications, it's been about a year and a half since I've been on the mat, but I know that there have been times I've walked onto the mat. As a matter of fact, when I started training a couple years ago, I was actually going through the most difficult period of my life. And I know that I have literally walked onto the mat countless times with almost crippling anxiety. And you walk off an hour later and your mind is clear, your body is clear, your soul. I mean, you just have this calm about you. And I think that the the last time you and I worked together was probably about a year and a half ago up in Clovis at uh, Force of One, uh, Eric Swan's promotion. And I remember you telling me you had you had been training in, in BJJ and you had actually gone back to 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 your roots, if you will, with uh, wushu, um, and you know I understand the therapeutic effects of exercise in general and and doing martial arts, but you've got these two things: you've got your martial arts, you've got your faith, and then the refereeing stops because of the pandemic, and that's when you came up with the idea for the gold corner. Tell us about the gold corner. The gold corner is something that God had put it in my heart, Andrew. Um, so when I went through, you know, when we were going through all our things, you know, we would have parents come and speak with us, come and, you know, even visitors at the hospital and tell us their story. To me, that is, even now that helps me out is speaking to other parents that have gone through the same thing that I have. Um, but when I started looking online, I wanted to hear stories. I wanted to start hearing more stories about these kids, whether they were already called home or they were still fighting or they had survived. And there was a couple of stories here and there, but there was really nothing that it was just one channel focused on this. And that's when I said, okay, well, I I, want to make a difference. It took me about two years to be able to speak about my daughter in in a way that I wouldn't cry as much, I want to say. But I created this channel. I said, I want to create a channel where people can listen to these stories of these brave little warriors and what they're going through. Because childhood cancer, a lot of people think it's a St. Jude commercial. They see these little kids laughing and playing, bald-headed little kids, and they think, okay, that's what childhood cancer. But I wanted to, to, to be able to have a platform where people can really see what these children go through, which is so they can see you know, their parents talk firsthand and say, this is everything my child had to go through. Um, the first story that I did was in July of last year, which ended up actually uh, premiering in Mia, where Mia would have been five years old. And 
that is where the gold corner came from. And when I started, I said, I'm going to do my story. I'm going to ask a couple of parents. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I was only initially thinking of doing 10 stories for season one. And I ended up with 22 stories. We started season two um, about three weeks ago. Uh, this week's going to be the, the third episode. And I have about 22 parents right now in line waiting to share their story and, you know, all, all, everything that they're doing now for childhood cancer awareness and, you know, speak about some of the nonprofits. So well, that is where I got the idea of the Gold Corner and, and just to create this platform where people, uh, parents can speak more in depth about the, everything that their child had to go through. And I, I was particularly uh, kind of tickled by and, and impressed by the, the intro uh, at the beginning of, and it hadn't really dawned on me, and I'd, I'd heard the title, obviously Gold Corner, but what you what you show at the beginning is a is a small child, I believe it's Mia, with uh, their their bald head and their fighters, and there's uh, a bell ringing, and you're you're really trying to paint that picture. These kids uh, are fighters, uh, and 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 that's what they're doing. They're fighting, and some some of them win, and and, and unfortunately, uh, too many don't, but that's what they do. They're fighting. Um, how do you uh, book your guests, or how do you? What kind of? Obviously, there are, are networks that pre-existed the Gold Corner, uh, and the Gold Corner now has its own following. How do you guys uh, communicate with each other? How, how are parents communicating with each other and, and um, showing interest in getting in on, on the Gold Corner? So um, when uh, when we were going through all this fight, we uh, uh, I became a part of a lot of support groups. You know, of everything from bereaved parents to cancer parents to survivor parents to a, a private neuroblastoma group. And you know, the, the, I thank God for these support groups because it, all the parents that are on there know exactly what the other parents are co- going through. So you can go in there at any time and want to chat, and somebody will be there. Another parent will be there. So yes, initially when I did that, there was two. There was about three parents that I would speak to a lot uh, more than the other parents. So uh, when I went through my story, I asked them, "Hey, would you want to share your story on my channel?" And they said yes. And the next parent said yes. And then I believe I only asked maybe about six or seven parents. After that, I started my own support group on Facebook called the Gold Corner Support Group, and from there, people just started, you know, doing this, and, and the stories starting to be shared, and so the stories were going viral. The stories were being, you know, shared on on Instagram, on TikTok, and that's when I was like, oh, you know, people are really, you know, knowing this, and people would say, you know, this is a bereaved father that started this channel, and it's giving us parents a platform too, so where we can speak, and from there, just people started contacting me uh, through. Facebook and through Instagram and and started saying, hey, how can we go about sharing, you know, my son, my daughter's story? So uh, now it got to the point where, where, like you said, the Gold Corner has its own following, so people actually um, write to me either to the Gold Corner um, social media or to my page uh, personally and say, you know, I want to share my story, and I, I go through all the support groups, so a, a lot of people from the support groups are actually the ones that reach out to me to share their stories. Now, um, you and I hadn't really thought about this because I know that you promote everything that you do on your own personal Facebook page, which is where I see it. Um, you've got the YouTube channel, which is the the Gold Corner. Uh, you do have an actual Facebook page for the Gold Corner. I do. I, I do have an actual page for the Gold Corner, and it's the Gold Corner Support Group. That is uh, the the official page for the Gold Corner, and then I have my own personal one. Uh, my two personal ones, which is mine, the Joao Heather regular one, and I had a, 
I actually exceeded the five, or I hit the 5,000, so I can't accept any more friends. So I actually opened up a, another page called The Bearded Ref. And that is uh, where I'm getting a lot of traffic through as well. But, yes, so we have the Gold Corner Support Group and the Bearded Ref, and that's where people can can reach out to me on Facebook. And now a word from our sponsor. That's right. We have sponsors now. Lorenzo's Italian Restaurant has been a part of the Las Cruces community for over 25 years, supporting schools, shelters, and veterans. Even during COVID times, Lorenzo's is offering patio tent dining, delivery, curbside pickup, chow now online, and mobile app ordering. Now offering customers any signature or two-topping pizza for only $15. There's only one Lorenzo's in town, and it's at 1753 East University in Pan Am Plaza. You can call 575-521-3505. And ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of ad lib here. If you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball, you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball. By the way, dip their bread in some of the oil with a little bit of salt, a little bit of Parmesan. You will not be disappointed, I guarantee you. I'm glad you mentioned the Bearded Ref because that's something I know you've been a part of and you talked a lot in your Gold Corner episode about the support you have uh, that you had uh, and continue to have locally and also from the North Texas chapter of the, is it the Bearded Villains? That is correct. The Nor- uh, the Bearded Villains is a worldwide brotherhood. We have uh, chapters all over the world, literally in Mexico, in Colombia, Puerto Rico, in the UK. Uh, we're all over the U.S. And it's just a, a group of bearded men and we are charity based. So um, that is all we do. We do a lot of charity work for our community. I belong to the West Texas chapter. I'm actually one of the officers for the West Texas chapter. And yeah, I, the, the good thing about this, the cool thing about about this is that wherever you go in the world, um, if there's a chapter there, you could just let them know, hey, I'm going to be swinging by or I'm going to be going there, and these brothers will go out of their way to go and pick you up at the airport, take you out to dinner. If you need to go somewhere, um, they'll they'll take you. So, yeah, it's the, the bearded villains. Um, the, that's the uh, brotherhood that I belong to. Well, you know, it's been way too long. Uh, it's been too long for everybody. I think, personally, I worked the last uh, event in New Mexico last March 8th up at Isleta um, or no it wasn't Isleta it was um, whichever whichever casino and event center that is just south of Albuquerque uh, there was an mm-hmm. MMA show and that's that's the last thing that was been held in New Mexico and hopefully before too long Joel you and I will be working together again uh, I know you enjoy it as much as I do the traveling isn't always the most fun the driving four hours home <laughs> from Hobbs uh, getting home at three or four in the morning isn't the most fun thing in the world, but uh, we love what he do and, and what we do, and uh, I, I know that it's therapeutic for each one of us uh, in, in in different ways. But I want to thank you very much for being on the show today, uh, talking about the Gold Corner, talking about your experience, uh, and sharing your ways of persevering and uh, dealing with loss and grief, and the ways that you're helping other people do that. So, Joel Ojeda, the bearded ref, the bearded villain, uh, thank you very much for being on my show. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you. And once again, I just want to say uh, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for uh, taking uh, me into consideration to be a part of your great podcast and being able to share uh, my story. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time on The Square. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications. Bravo.